Good day. Welcome to the conference. My name is Jennifer and I will be your conference operator today. Welcome to Cozen O'Connor Public Strategy Series about the latest developments in politics and policy in D.C. Our call today will be moderated by Blake Rutherford, a member of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Our speakers are Howard Schweitzer, Managing Partner, and Mark Alderman, Chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. This recording will also be available on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for Cozen O'Connor. For any questions, please email presidentialanalyst at cozen.com. Please go ahead, Mr. Rutherford. Thank you very much, and thanks to everyone for joining us today. My name is Blake Rutherford, and as always, I am joined on this call today by Mark Alderman, the chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and Howard Schweitzer, the managing partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Mark, Howard, great to be with you yet again. Blake, thanks. Good morning. Well, well <laughs> you, you, the, the, the bass in your voice, Mark, it, it just it, it, it rings... It rings loud and clear. You you were up late, I, I, clearly writing the Democratic response to to the president's speech. Uh, I'm um, coming to you from a, a secure, undisclosed location, Blake. That's what you're hearing. Okay, good, good for you, good for you. Um, well, I, that's where I want to begin our call because certainly it is the talk of the talk of the town as as we sit in Washington today, uh, which is the president's uh, first address to a joint session of Congress. Uh, last night um, in the context of of presidential pomp and circumstance, an enormous deal, uh, the first time that a new president addresses the Congress. Uh, it gives the new president an opportunity to not only uh, not only reiterate uh, the themes that that were present um, in his campaign since we're we're still male dominated in, in, in this particular industry. Uh, but also to talk about the path forward from a policy perspective. Um, and I certainly want to get both of your insights uh, on, on those issues because it's what Washington's talking about today and I suspect we'll be talking about uh, for, for the next few days, um, particularly as we, as we get into the issues. But, Mark, I, I thought I would begin with you. Um, what, what are your general reactions to the president's speech last night? I think, Blake, that you have to distinguish between form and substance, style, uh, and content. The president gave what was, in my opinion, the best speech that Donald Trump has ever given, at least the best political speech. I don't know about speeches at his beauty pageants back in the day. But this was a very polished, a very poised, a very professional, a, a very presidential speech in tone and in style. And he gets great points for that. I think there was a real question after the first 40 days whether he had it in him. And he proved last night that he does. He proved last night that he can read a good teleprompter speech and and that's what he did and that is good that that is good for the country that he presented himself as presidential i don't think in content i don't think in substance we heard anything new and i don't think we heard much at all actually i doubt that this changes anything except, again, the important perception that he is capable of acting presidentially. 
Howard, your thoughts? Which, yeah, that's exactly the thing that Mark has been saying for months that he's incapable of doing and that we were never going to see and um, that he'd never make that, that turn and give a speech without talking about crowd size or electoral college margin. And, and he did. And it's a step. It's a very positive step, I thought. It was, I thought, good on substance and really good on form, really presidential, um, the turn that we've been looking for, which isn't to say that everybody sitting here isn't, isn't thinking, well, between, you know, sometime in the next two days he's going to do something that, that undermines it, uh, undermines that presidential nature of the speech. But um, if, you're, if you are the, whether you voted for him or, or not, I think you you breathe a little bit easier this morning today because um, the president got up there and acted like the president and articulated a vision in inspirational terms, in um, uh, unifying terms, and and I think the fact that the Democrats had a flat response is um, uh, further demonstrates that. Wildly premature to declare this a turn. We've seen Trump pivot. Uh, we've seen his non-pivot ten times already in the course of the campaign. And, and but Mark, you said days. you but been This is the same man who, before he stood before the country and condemned the uh, tax on Jewish cemeteries, suggested to the state attorneys general that the attacks were being coordinated by the Democrats to make him look bad. So that all happened within the space of six hours yesterday, wildly premature to declare that there is a different man in the White House today than there was when he said that. But he gave a good speech. You are the one who has said over and over again that last night was never going to happen. So... It did. You no, were wrong. What I, what I have said, and I still say, is that we don't have a different man in the White House than the one we elected. I didn't think he would give that speech. I started out by saying that. He's the same man who said that the attacks on Jewish cemeteries were caused by the Democrats. Uh, I've, I haven't quite seen this great pivot that you're declaring here. But let's I mean, see I what today brings. Look, I, look today's going to bring something different. Um, but I think very positive. And, and look, I think whether you're for him or against him, um, you're for the country. And that was a really positive speech in tone for the country. So I think, um, you know, wherever you're located, wherever you voted, again, as I said, I think you breathe more easily this morning. Well, here's, here's something I, I do want to talk about because I – I think in the context of the first 40 days, a collective concern, and, and I base this on what we're seeing from, from polling data that, that does show people really feeling like the perception is that, that this White House is in disarray, this president is truly a shoot-from-the-hip kind of guy. And by all accounts, this speech, not only was it delivered in a manner that was different than what we had seen, the preparation yeah, clearly was, was serious. 
clearly, and not and not something that he just you know happened to read off a teleprompter. No. This was That's days in days in the works. In the same way that you would, I mean, look, we know that state of the unions are months in the works, um, but certainly in 40 days, uh, this speech was days in the works. Lots of advisors. The agencies seem to be engaged in the process. We're, we had a line into the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, there are we can quarrel with whether he cherry picks some facts, Arizona on on health care and some other things. But I think in, what's interesting to me, and I would like your your take on this because I, I I think that for the first time, unlike contrast it with what we saw with the travel ban, which seemed to be hastily put together, yeah. not thought through, agencies not engaged. Yeah. This speech seemed to be the exact opposite. Yeah, which is what happened. And so what happened is yeah. my question. What happened Robert, is what happened? they are beginning to understand that they have to govern differently than they've, than they've run for office. And, you know, it's what I say every week on the call. They, they, they did prepare. Um, they were methodical about it. He clearly practiced that speech. He did. There's, I mean, there's news reports yeah. now that he, they pulled a teleprompter into the White House. Yeah. And he rehearsed the speech, which you would expect right. you anyone would, to do. Right. And by the way, Mark, notwithstanding your snarky comment about speaking from a teleprompter, Barack Obama never, ever, 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 ever gave a speech that wasn't off of a teleprompter on anything. He spoke at campaign rallies off the teleprompter. So there's nothing wrong with speaking off a teleprompter. And I think, Blake, it reflects, um, it reflects a seriousness. And an understanding about where they are and what they have to do. And is it the answer to everything? No, Mark, it's not the answer to everything. But is it a really positive sign that they took the time to prepare, that they were methodical, that they were thoughtful about it, that they were inclusive? Um, Yeah, and today they pushed back releasing the new travel executive order. Um, You know, look, I think there are signs of hopefulness here. You know, as I said last week, putting, getting rid of Flynn, putting a guy like McMaster in there, um, giving a speech like this, symbolism matters. And the way they uh, conduct their business in the office matters. And that's what we're seeing. Mark, Washington is nothing if not a symbolic town. Um, I mean, I, in, in the context of, you know, Trump's shift here, and even if it, I, I, I'm not declaring it a pivot, just because I know you you would you would disagree with that and have, but the shift in approach, which is now, you know, pretty pretty clear that there was this methodical preparation, that there was thoughtfulness, quarrel with the policy, which we will, which I know you will in a minute, but. You know, do you sense that this is something that Trump can continue? Um, is it something that his staff can look at and say, you know what, this way works, and we ought to stick with it for a little while? We are going to find out, and I want to be real clear that I'm rooting for this to continue because I am obviously, as we all are, rooting for what's better for the country, and the country is obviously better served 
by a presidential president. So let's let's see if this can continue. That would be a good thing for the country. I do have my doubts. I do think that it was a tremendous improvement, as I've said, from the afternoon and his inexcusable remarks to the attorneys general. So the trend line is good, and and let's see what the next days and weeks bring. But that is all on tone and style, and yes, tone and style are important, and he gets points for that. When you drill down into the, the content of the speech, while there were some conciliatory words, we still have the hard right policies of of Trumpism. It's not even republicanism, as Howard likes to point out. The, the spending alone in his speech and in his budget the day before are hardly mainstream republicanism. So there there is a lot yet to be determined after what was admittedly a, a good night for the country. So how wow. let's 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 talk about <laughs> let's talk about some of the the policy initiatives that the president addressed in his well, speech. Blake, before we do that, yeah. can we talk about the democratic response? Well, we can because I I I, I sense that, that very few people on this call will remember uh, by noon that there was one. Um, <laughs> but let let's talk about it because I I, I I was on Twitter last night talking to some friends of mine about about the democratic strategy here and trying to understand what what their strategy was. Very interested to get both of your takes. So so certainly Howard, your your comments on. On, on what the Democrats did in response to well, the speech. I mean, Bashir and putting a former governor up there to give a response to me was highly questionable um, from a political point of view. Really kind of, really weak, weak. Um, but even more striking to me was, I can't remember what channel I was watching afterwards, but um, they, you can, no, I think it was CNN, and it was, um, or no, it was NBC, it was MSNBC, and it was Schumer followed by McConnell, and McConnell called Schumer out on the following. I mean, Schumer couldn't articulate a, a clear sentence. He had, he was completely flat-footed. He had no message. He had no response. It was, and for Chuck Schumer, that's a big deal. So. Yeah, we'll see what tomorrow brings. But what last night brought was not a good night politically for the Democratic Party because they had nothing to say in response. No clear message. Mark, what do you what do you think about the the tack the Democrats took in response to this speech? Well, I thought it was impressive that in a medium, the opposition speech to a presidential address that has been distinguished by very poor and bizarre performances, Bobby Jindal, Marco Rubio. I thought it was impressive that the Democrats reached a new low. That was not, that was not 
my idea of a response with no disrespect to Governor Bashir, who's a, a good man and did a good job as governor of Kentucky. I don't know whose idea that was. It, it sure wasn't mine. Uh, I don't think many people thought that that was the way to present the loyal opposition. It, but Mark, it, what about your friend Chuck? I mean, you know him. You deal with him. You sit in rooms with him. What, like, have you ever seen him flat-footed? I've well, never seen him publicly flat-footed like that. I didn't see what you saw. I saw him on a different network where I thought he was trying to walk the tightrope he was on. And and he, I don't think he exactly fell off, but he, it wasn't a graceful uh, high wire act. He's He is in a tricky position. And I, I think that he was unprepared for the address that the president delivered. He was prepared you know, with, with a different response, and he was trying to edit his response to make it fit the speech that was actually given while he was speaking, and I, it, it wasn't his most impressive performance. But this it, is a night. You don't, again, you don't turn around everything in, in an evening. If it continues in this direction, Schumer will respond uh, appropriately. By this morning, he had figured out something a lot more uh, encouraging to say. I, I think one, one thing that is really striking to me, Blake and Mark, is that regardless of who you talk to on, on either side of this thing, whatever sides there are, um, everybody, what I keep hearing from, from everybody is well, you can say what you want about Trump, but he's doing what he said he was going to do, whether you like it or not. And I, I guess I look at this speech last night in, in, through that lens because State of the Union, these kind of, this wasn't technically a State of the Union, but the State of the Union speeches involve presidents getting up there, saying all sorts of things, that don't have any meaning, that everybody knows they're never going to follow through on, and love them or hate them, the thing that people are saying about Donald Trump 41 days into his presidency is that he's actually going to do what he says he what he said he was going to do. That's a big difference. Actually, 56 percent 56 percent of the country says that, and I think that's the I think that's that's the polling data. I know we have disputed on this call whether polling matters. I think that statistic matters if you are Trump's policy people. And I think that's in a lot of ways why, to Mark's point, there really wasn't anything new because there didn't have to be anything new. I think it had to be it had to be dressed differently. Yeah. And it was. And it was. Yeah. Um, no question. But can we can we just talk for a minute about this idea that he's going to do what he said he was going to do. Before we chisel another profile into Mount Rushmore for, for President Trump here, Howard, he, he did exactly what you said he did. He gave a State of the Union type address where there was lofty rhetoric and aspirational commitments and all sorts of big promises, 
almost none of which he's going to be able to actually deliver. Now we get back to the, well, this is something you and I have actually written on. Uh, Maybe you want to remove your byline, but I stand by what we wrote. Now we get back to the hard work of actually governing. He's going to build a wall that he can't pay for. He's going to give massive tax cuts that his own party is is worried about uh, paying for. He's going to repeal and replace uh, Obamacare instead of on day one. Now it'll be day 41. We all know that's not happening. So in terms of the promises, I absolutely agree. This this president is trying to do what he said he would do. I just think we are a long way from all of these wonderful or, or not wonderful, depending on your view, from all of the, these Trump things happening. And I, I don't know what happened last night that changes much of that. Well, my, my favorite headline from last night was that Trump spiked the ball in the first quarter. Um, and and, I, and so to to a degree, I think that what what is behind his the strategic element of the speech, we know what's behind the style element of the speech. We know that the president, he by by, by all accounts from people I've talked to and from people who were there, um, really recognized. I'm walking into Congress. I've got to I've got to take. I've got to change the tone. My communication really isn't working. His, his, his statement that he would give himself a C, C-minus on message, I suspect some of his aides would probably think it behind closed doors it was lower than that. Um, so we know that strategic element. But I think on the policy piece, this does come back to, uh, to his desire to reiterate, achievable or not, what he has told people um, is the core of, of, of his presidency. This speech reaffirmed that. Although it just yeah. did it in a different manner. And I think people are, what resonates with the country at large is keeping promises. That's why this guy won, because the people are tired, sick and tired of morally bankrupt politicians getting up in front of them and telling them they're going to do a whole bunch of stuff that they have no intention of doing, at least Donald Trump is articulating priorities that he has an intention of trying to do. I think he has a, an intention of trying to pass uh, tax reform. I think he has an intention of trying, he, he intends to try to um, get an infrastructure bill done. And yes, he intends to repair and repeal and repair and replace or whatever you want to call it, Obamacare. So I think I just think people are looking at this through a different lens than they normally do, and that's very appealing. Let's talk about let's talk about where where we go from here because we we are by all accounts, and you guys we're all on the hill and headed to the hill today. Um, you know, the process has begun, um, whether it's on tax reform, um, repeal and replace, repair and rep- whatever is gonna is gonna come about. We know is being debated infrastructure. Trump has an infrastructure plan. I mean, we've we've commented on it. Our our group has commented on it um, and analyzed it publicly. He has a plan. Whether it's an achievable plan, um, you know, we'll see. But he actually has an infrastructure plan. Um, 
that, that he put forth during the campaign, arguably the most substantive part of, of his policy platform. And he has said unequivocally that he's going to build this wall and there is going to be some sort of tax mechanism to pay for it. Mark, you are less optimistic that these things get done. But if we if we like, let's, if we're yeah, let's, I'm sorry. So let's let's take the president at his word and let's talk about what he has actually submitted to Congress. Thus far, he has submitted to Congress one and only one actual package, which is his budget which has, like all presidential budgets, he, he is acting very presidential, and he is consistent with precedent in this. He has submitted a budget that is dead on arrival in Congress by declaration of his own party. That isn't Chuck Schumer's judgment. He wants to increase defense spending by tens of billions of dollars and pay for it by cutting the State Department and EPA budgets by double digits, which it together will produce only nickels and dimes compared to what he wants to spend for defense. So none, none of this has been worked out yet, and all of it is about to go into the sausage maker of, of Congress, and and we'll see. We'll see what comes out the other end. But I think that I think that before we give him all of these accolades for being the first president in history to intend to keep his promises, you have to start with a budget that <laughs> that that doesn't keep them because he knows and everyone knows that that budget isn't passing, as, as no president's budget ever does. Well, right. That's, that's exactly right, Mark. But, Howard, to this, to this thematic of, of keeping your promises, the yeah. Democratic response uh, this morning, and, and, and I got this from, <clears throat> from Senator Schumer's office, is headlined, Broken Promises. Yeah. Uh, very much this notion that, that the Trump the Trump folks and the Trump administration want this to be about here's what we promised, and right now we're working towards delivering on that, and the Democrats already uh, want to position the administration as as falling down on that. It, even still, I'd, I'd go back to um, it. This was a speech that that I think the Democrats have found very difficult to to respond to. Yeah. Um, and and that's a sign of a uh, to be fair to the administration, sign of a pretty good speech. Yeah. Um, and, well, and Howard, so I think that's Howard and I wrote something earlier in the campaign, Blake, about Trump's use of his unpredictability as a a tactic, and he that he he surprised the Democrats with an unpredictably presidential speech last night. So, Howard, I want to talk about some of the other issues because we're we're hearing from our from our from our friends and, and contacts on the Hill. Let's talk about tax reform. Yeah. Like um, we know, and, and as you guys talked about in our last call, it's you know everything's connected. And, yeah. Um, but in tax reform, we are starting to see some some tried and true meaningful movement and getting down into the to the substance of how we're going to tax corporations, how we're going to tax LLCs, how we're going to tax owners of those entities and the income that they receive, mm -hmm. and really 
getting into the minutiae of that, this border adjustment tax and, and what to do about that. What are your, what are your general thoughts about, about tax reform and, and where's the interplay with other issues on the Hill right now? Well, the most significant interplay is with um, what they do on the ACA because in many respects that too is a tax bill. And um, unless you deal with the Obamacare taxes, you can't deal with taxes as a whole. And also, I think just politically, uh, even though people have begun to suggest they go first on tax reform and then take up the Affordable Care Act, that isn't going to fly. Um, they, they can't do that. But I think, um, look, this is Paul Ryan's lifelong priority. This is why he is in the position he's in. This is why he came to Washington. And there's broad agreement that I think we need to make the corporate tax code in the U.S. more internationally competitive, repatriate some of the money that U.S. corporations have been stashing overseas that they won't bring back because the corporate tax rate is among the highest in the world. So there's momentum around reforming the tax code. I think it will get done. I do not think it will get done this year. I think it'll be one giant negotiation. I don't know that it will go through on the 50-vote budget reconciliation process. I think it may go through a 60-vote um, normal legislative um, House and Senate, full Senate process. And I think it will be bipartisan. I think this is something that um, the Democrats are going to have to, uh, they're going to have to play ball. Corporate America wants it. People want it. It's good for jobs. It's good for the economy. I think it's going to happen, Blake. Mark, what are your what are your thoughts looking at this from a healthcare perspective? Recognizing that, to Howard's point, these these two are are, are almost inextricably linked. What do you what do you see as, as the path forward on on the ACA? Because we're hearing we're hearing out of out of certainly from the Hill from Republicans that. You know, factions within the Republican Party certainly can't agree on what to do about about the Affordable Care Act to say nothing of Democrats and Republicans more broadly, and then factoring in the White House. And we've gotten, you know, at times mixed messages from the administration about what their what their goals are. Um, no one's standing up to sort of wave the flag to to truly say, I can solve this problem, with the exception, I think, maybe of Senator Rand Paul. Uh, of Kentucky, um, but what are your thoughts about the ACA uh, in the context of, uh, of of the of the policy priorities of this administration? Well, the president, of course, continuing the theme of uh, his his big week here, the president uh, taught the country a lesson that uh, we apparently needed teaching when he declared earlier this week that no one knew that healthcare was so complicated, but he has figured out that it's complicated. And he's gonna now share that with us. And, and once again, he's right. It is very complicated. And I think that where we are with healthcare is that the Republicans politically need to do something, anything, that they can call a repeal. And I believe that sometime this spring, they will take some action and declare it a repeal and move on to the hard work of 
replace, which really means repair or reshape or remake, but uh, but it isn't going to be starting over. The, there there are healthcare plans out there. The speaker, along with now Secretary Price, has a a comprehensive legislative proposal. I think last night, I think the president sort of said in his speech that he mostly is okay with what Ryan is trying to do. I know he keeps saying the White House will produce something any day now. I I, I think, as Howard said offline, there there is messaging going back and forth here about who is going to own the the blueprint who's going to go first anyway and and what i expect to see is speaker ryan to start pushing this through the house but it is going to be a long time before he gets his caucus on the same page and then it's got to go to the senate where you have a whole different thing going on where you have competing plans you have the uh, collins cassidy plan which may at the end of the day be what this mostly looks like. But the one thing I think that is clear 40, however many days, 41 days into this administration, is that some substantial part of the Affordable Care Act is here to stay. I I think um, if Mark and his friends in the snarky Northeastern Liberal Echo Chamber where, where you live and work, Howard, if I'm not mistaken? I, I, I live moved? and work there, but I listen to people that I didn't that realize are, you'd moved overnight. I, I, I listen. I listen, to, I listen to both sides, Mark. And I, this is going into the sausage making of Washington. And out will emerge um, some version of um, the, some version of a health care package. And, and that's good. That's what's supposed to happen. Probably if you got Barack Obama um, in a quiet moment, he would say that that's what he wants to happen. Everybody knows I the think ACA. he actually said that yeah. during the campaign. Everybody knows the yeah. ACA is important. I think he said Hillary that for, said it. Said said that it. for seven said years. Right. And you'll be able to argue whether at the end of the day um, they kept their promise or not as a political matter. But I think what's going on here. And you can sit there and argue about promises kept, you know, repeal day one, blah, 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 blah. This is what's supposed to happen. This is what needs to happen, and this is what's going to happen. From a a political perspective. I think there's a fundamental, Blake, just if I may, for for one minute. Well, two things. Number one, that's twice I've been called snarky this morning. So I'm going to hope that that doesn't happen a third time. I'm trying not to cause that to happen with what I'm about to say. Like there is a fundamental unresolved tension that underlies most of Trump's policy proposals. And that is how are you going to pay for any of this? The problem with healthcare, coming back to that specifically, is that the Ryan plan, the price plan, uses tax credits instead of cash subsidies 
to enable the uh, the uncovered population above the Medicaid cutoff to purchase insurance in the marketplace. And a big part of the Republican Party is unhappy with the idea of creating a further entitlement as they see it. So the, the question on all of this stuff, there are two questions. One, is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? The, the Republicans won, and they're going to win on the debate about is it a good idea or a bad idea. The debate within the party that is slowing all of this down and is yet to approach a resolution is how are you going to pay for any of it? Yeah, the, and, and the question that, that, that I'd, say for, I'd, I'd ask you from a political perspective is if there is one issue that the Republicans have to deliver on, it's the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, absolutely. Politically, they don't. The other stuff, they're 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 feeling less political pressure. But mm-hmm. I think, um, I think you both agree that they've got to figure out how to deliver on that. I want to look at this in a macro context before we before we wrap up our call, because if all the things that we've talked about, the things that are highlighted in Trump's speech, the Affordable Care Act, not a small thing to get done. Tax reform, not a small thing to get done. Infrastructure reform, not a small thing to get done. Immigration reform, not a small thing to get done. Perhaps the easiest thing for the Trump administration to get done is a boost in defense spending, although you've got to figure out even still how that works. Um, and then you have, you know, he talked about family leave and child care and then the wall. Mm-hmm. I mean, Boy, any one of these in the first year is is a pretty significant achievement. He's got six on the table. Howard, those those all seem like, pardon the pun, swinging for the fences. Um, where are the singles and doubles? Where are the things that show that Congress can begin some forward progress, that Trump can start signing some legislation? Or put another way, how do we get out of this executive order system and get Congress moving through some pieces of legislation that 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 advance some form of an agenda? Yeah, well, I think by introducing pieces of legislation, and there are people um, hard at work on that, both on the Hill and in the White House and in the agencies. You know, I think back to the theme of prior calls. Uh, the the biggest hurdle this administration faces right now is getting staffed up and getting the substance in onto their team so they can actually um, have an impact on policy and, and roll out policy and and govern. So I mean, legislating and governing are are not one and the same, and and they need to look. They can. It's a big government, and. The president's job, the White House's role, it's a big role. And they need to, they can work on many, many, many different things at the same time as long as they have the people in place to do it. And that's most fundamentally what they need. They need to govern. And, and uh, Mark, from, from your perspective, I mean, in, in the context of, of the way this, this government is staffed, it is, it is understaffed. Uh, that's not a... That's not an edit, uh, editorial comment. I mean, by nature, you've got un, they're under number twos at, at, at major departments aren't even in place. Um, uh, to say nothing of the of 
of um, lower-level staff. Uh, what what do you sense? You know the next, you know the next week to ten days looks like uh, for this administration as they try and capitalize on the goodwill generated from this speech. Do you do you see anything significant? Um, anything significant happening, or, or does Washington normalize by the weekend? I think the likelihood is that uh, we revert to the Washington norm by the weekend, and we're back where we were the day before the speech, maybe a little a little farther down the road towards getting something done. I think uh, I'm, I'm agreeing with Howard because we both live in the snarky Northeast here. Uh, Northeastern Liberal need, Echo Chamber. What, uh, well, I didn't hear that, but I'm sure I disagree with whatever you said. <laughs> uh, I think that what we need to do is uh, is see action. I think the administration, and it's a challenge being as understaffed as it is, but let's see the White House propose some legislation to Congress. Let's see Congress start to act on it. And let's see if we can get something done. Uh, Senator Schumer kept saying there he stands ready to work with the White House. He hasn't heard from them. I think Congress at large needs to hear from the White House about specific legislative packages that they are proposing beyond the budget, which has already died, and and then they can get to work. I, well, my prediction is that the White House is going to have a hard time, whether you're for them or against them, for all the reasons of staffing and distraction and the rest. I think I think you're going to see a Congress-led legislative agenda. I think they're going to just start moving on this stuff, and and then we'll see if we can have a Congress-centric uh, government that gets some things done. I saw um, Chairman Bill Schuster, the chairman of House T and I, last night, Transportation and Inf- Infrastructure, uh, before the speech. Um, out in town, and he was extremely positive about the prospects for getting something done on infrastructure um, this year, in the near future, maybe into early next year. Extremely positive. I, look, I think politics is a expectations management game, and Mark, you're right. We wrote that that piece about unpredictability. I think I think if you're the Trump administration this morning, you are emboldened by the fact that you can have all the fiascos you've had over the course of the past 41 days and come out and give a speech like that and um, leave the Democrats kind of tongue-tied and leave your opponents. I, I think it's to say the Democrats, leave people who are second-guessing your agenda and your ability to operate in this town tongue-tied. I think this guy is the master of expectations management, and he is going to do a lot more than people think he can do over the course of the next year. Well, as, as the, well, as I, the I'm, I'm going to just term. interrupt Blake to say that Chairman Schuster was so bullish on getting something done because he thinks our colleague in the White House Counsel's office is going to make it happen. So I, I give uh, credit where credit is due on that one. 
Well, um, I think the as 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 I was saying, as the as the political world turns, a week ago we were anticipating this speech. Now we're on the other side of it, and 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 perhaps the political tide, you know, has turned in the president's favor. We'll we'll see. And next week, when we're when we're back together to discuss it, we'll have a better sense of uh, of what it all means. But but uh, I want to thank everyone who's listened uh, to the call today. Thanks to everybody who continues to engage with us in these calls. Certainly, comments. Uh, questions, criticisms, especially the moderator, always welcome. You can reach us at presidentialanalysis at cozen.com. Mark Howard, uh, thanks for, for being here and great to be with you as always. Thanks, Blake. Thanks, Mark. And thanks, everybody, for yeah. listening.